Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Hello, it's great to be with you. Today, we are grateful to have Claudia Greco joining us on the podcast. Claudia is local here to Madison, Wisconsin, and offers Reiki, yoga, she does spiritual guidance, and as her practice has unfolded, she has found herself in spaces of trauma, which has been very interesting and we'll unpack a little bit today. So, Claudia, thanks for joining us and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I wonder if we can start off just by you telling us a little bit more about who you are and the work you do as a spiritual guide. Sure. So it sort of came to me in an organic kind of fashion. I grew up in a rather rigidly Catholic family, which was both helpful and discouraging. And so from that, I had lots of questions. And then because it was the, I don't know, it was like the 60s, I was also in the midst of the whole Vietnam War and protesting and, you know, feminism coming into being. And then what opened in Vatican II with Gaudium at best, the sort of philosophy of the preferential option for the poor and meaning those without voice, which included so many folks at the margins, right? So I um, originally wanted to be a doctor, but my parents said, absolutely not. You're a woman. We're not paying for that. The girls in our family could go to some sort of technical school, but um, the boys would get college. And of interest, of course, that never goes completely well. The girls in my family all got masters on their own. And my brothers all got their, their bachelors like over a 10 to 15 year period. So anyway, but that was the times. And so because I couldn't have access to what I wanted to do, I went into nursing. And so I ended up in a Benedictine school of nursing, which added an element at the time, too, of entrance into what I would say is liberation theology. And from that, feminist theology. And so from there, I entered into my practice of nursing and came to Madison because it was the first time in history that Minnesota had an overabundance of nurses. And when I got to Madison, I worked in psych, and I've had, had numerous experiences of being present to people in great life stresses, right? So that continued in my practice. And then as I was working in addiction, I went to work with more counseling aspects. So the beginning was, um, I sort of look at it now as the integration of the body, mind, and spirit. And so in that flow, I got to integrate those pieces that I came to witness, which has been both phenomenal and I've had incredible teachers, everyday people who have served in this way and yet very hard to be witnessing and present to what goes on in the world in a way that a lot of people can avoid. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, Claudia, I also just maybe want to recognize on the podcast, we are going to be talking about trauma. And, you know, we're limited on a podcast. We recognize that trauma has a lot of layers to it. There's nuances, there's depth, and there's different types of trauma, right? There's acute trauma, there's chronic trauma, there's complex. And so recognizing the limitations of our conversation today and the the container of a podcast, 
I do want to hear more about the intersection of trauma and spirituality and, and some of the work that you're doing. I'd love to touch on that. In my learning over time, I began to see this way in which trauma separates. So it almost became like a situation where something happens and it creates a fracture in a person's kind of life. So it becomes as though there's something major has shifted and there's no longer a coherent flow. There's now a before and an after. And when that happens, it also perpetuates this disconnect internally and in the world in ways that I started to see were already going on, which kind of surprised me, but also the need for that deepening reconnection to um, the spirit, to re-inhabiting the body in a way that could provide um, grounding and um, more safety internally, and a way to come into the beliefs that really serve. So as I guess a big sort of experience. And it's interesting if I like take this little piece that you were just mentioning and think back to your opening story about uh, I ended up at a Benedictine college for nursing. Like a lot of that is just work, right? Filling the container. Like, right. What's my identity? Uh, but spirituality is a big piece, right? You're naming mind, body, spirit, and you're doing yoga and Reiki and spiritual guidance. So how did spirituality become, like, was it always a focus? Did it become a focus? How did that play out? Well, it, it was probably always a bit of a focus. So I remember one of the ways it showed up is, and I was thinking about this this morning because I knew we were going to be talking. When I did my psych training, we went to a VA. And in this VA, it was, again, the Vietnam War. So there were veterans just fresh off the battlefield who were being treated for post-traumatic stress and not treated very well. And I remember the learning and questioning it which was the psychiatrist who spoke to us said basically that only men who had other underlying issues would have trauma through war. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty crazy to me. Like war could be, you know, pretty devastating, right? And then I was with men in this, mostly men, there were some women, but, you know, my first really incredible teacher was this man who like literally was so depressed he could not speak. He was so traumatized by his experience. And so I was supposed to write up all these interactions, but he had no voice. So I had to begin to pay such close attention to even how he moved the covers on his bed because it began to get, and he wouldn't get out of bed. So I would sit and we were assigned one person for the whole four months. And I was like, how am I going to do that? Right. But I would sit at his bed and notice the little observances that clued me into who he was. And in a way, it was like learning the spirituality of meditation practice because we were in the quiet. And the quiet can be pretty painful for people. So that was an introduction. And then as I went on in school, I thought I would work with children because I ended up uh, in peds and children who were traumatized physically emotionally. I mean, there was just such a strong sense of my wanting to be present to them. And so that was my original thought. But by the end of my three years, because it was a diploma program, I ended up in an addiction unit. So Minnesota is a, was a pioneer in addiction treatment. So very first treatment center there for addiction in the States and well-versed in that. And I found 
what I found with people who are being treated for all kinds of addiction was this spiritual conversion happening again and again in terms of, because they followed a 12-step program and that's based in spirituality. So from there, I was led, I think, because, you know, in a lot of places, you weren't supposed to talk about God, you weren't supposed to talk about spirituality, even in a Catholic hospital, which was, it was a trauma center, so they had to be very careful. But that became sort of my focus then, because I wanted to explore that all along, and and use it in conjunction with the fullness of our our lives, right? So I love that you're talking about a holistic way of of helping people integrate in their own lives and to spirituality. And I think, you know, one of the things that you said with hearing people's stories, like it can be hard, like there are a lot of hard stories. And I think a term that I've heard before is secondhand trauma, where you're taking on some of the story. What what have been some beneficial practices for you, how you process, let it go through you, but not become overwhelmed? What what have been some helpful keys for you in, in dealing with these hard stories? Right. So sometimes this is also called vicarious trauma, right? Being present so much. And I mean, I think this is what we see happening because of so many people not wanting to show up, right? To be present to it is very hard. And so in Judith Herman's work on trauma and recovery, one of the things she's addresses, she addresses is how trauma survivors view bystanders and perpetrators, right? And they almost are more disturbed by the bystanders. They understand, you know, that the perpetration has occurred and they can know that, but to watch people turn away is what was the hardest. And I somehow, I knew that intuitively. And so it wasn't so much for me about not being overwhelmed, but allowing And I sort of look to the spirit for this, right? This is where the spirit really assists me. If I was going to be overwhelmed, then, okay, let me be overwhelmed and come to know what that is. Because if I come to know what that is over time, my guess was that there'll be a way through and that that will, I will be provided. I mean, it was sort of a faith in that possibility. And I was. So it kept showing up and I'll, I'll share another incident. So this was, uh, this was an unfortunate incident in my nursing school. So I was dealing with a, a woman who'd had this horrid, horrendous car accident and the doctor was debriding her wounds. And I was assisting at the time. I was, I think my second year in nursing school and she was in such pain. It was so hard to witness. And yet I could not leave the room. Right. I felt like I was going to throw up at first, but I managed. And then I was the one who had to clean up. So when she was settled, I took all the dirty linen and I, I went into the dirty utility room in the hospital and I brought it in there and my, I started to tear, you know, I became like tearful about what this, and it's part of the way that I think it moves through me is to allow for these tears that acknowledge what has just happened. Right. And, but I turned around and my instructor was there and she started screaming at me. And she said, what do you think you're doing? You'll never make it here if you're gonna start crying. And I was immediately like stunned. And one of the beauties of that experience was that one of the things that the nursing school did was they provided for counseling 
and you could be referred. So she referred me to this counselor. Well, now I thought I was going to drop, you know, I thought my parents were going to kill me because I would have to drop out of school and I was doing them poorly. Anyway, I get it. So I'm preparing for this counseling session and I, it was through Catholic charities. They donated the, the time and stuff. So it was nice. But I get into that counseling office and I tell this man who was incredible, uh, this story about what has just happened. And I'm trying to apologize for my behavior, right? Or for my even being emotional. And he says, finally, he says, you know, this is not a problem. And this is not your problem. But I want you to know that it's going to come up again and again here. And so you want to be prepared because emotionality is not going to be accepted. And that was another beginning for me to kind of incorporate the relevance of emotion in a way that could serve. And he would support me through that process. So, but it's an interesting dichotomy in the culture. And we know this, right? Emotions are more feminine. They are regarded as not rational and therefore not useful often. When in fact, they're the provision in my experience of the message of the divine somehow, right? So any basic emotion can lead us through to finding what it is that's being spoken to us in that sort of way of integration that you spoke to. The integration is a perfect word that I like, yes. I really appreciate all that you're naming. Oh my goodness. So I feel like so far I've heard in terms of how do I deal with these emotions and these experiences, I've heard like naming, noticing, um, allowing the tears to come. Is there more? I mean, I have, you had mentioned before, like with trauma, Often there's a up to the point where the event happens and then thereafter. And I definitely know people like that. There was the moment in which they were burned badly and then everything that came thereafter. So is there more that we can do when it comes to working through the trauma? And I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of the body keeps score, right? This notion of what we don't release gets trapped. Actually, what's interesting about that is, and Alice Miller, I don't know if you know her, but she was the first one to really speak to how, and she has a book called, it's more clinical, but her book is titled, um, The Body Never Lies. And so it's a really, a real strong kind of reversal away from the dualism of separation, which again, trauma creates and, um, and into this idea that if you can learn to listen to the body's cueing, the body knows more than the mind. The mind can take us to places that are all sorts of untruths. But if you learn how to, to be within your body and learn how you, and this is what the diversity of experience is about, how you, your body speaks to you, then you're given what is needed, I think. So that's the bottom line. The other practice that I began to use because I, well, it came through primarily in yoga teachings. And that is how to begin to witness your own experience by first. And for me, it occurred first with the outside world and gets back to what Chris was talking about, which is how to bear witness to what is going on, right? To show up in the times that are difficult as much as we can. And then that was the teaching to begin to witness the self and bear witness there. And trauma, of course, oftentimes happens without a witness a lot of different traumas. And so when you don't have that experience and then you enter the world where, you know, not many people really want to talk about it. That's why this podcast is so amazing to me. I'm like, wow, somebody really wants to talk about this. <laughs> I mean, most of the time, every most of the people 
I saw would say, there's no one I can speak this to. And it is oftentimes unspeakable. I mean, who really wants to know how bad it can, it can be for people? And yet it's the truth, right? So in the search for truth, which for me is partly the spirit, right? I want the truth more than I want comfort, let's say, or something. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> so being a witness to this taught me how to ultimately witness to myself and to be present to things that happen to me from a place of a, just a step away, not dissociation though, because that's part of trauma or trance states, right? So, but to be present to it in a way that I could see into the past, in the, in the, into the future and present to what was right now. And know, you know, sometimes we would ask these questions of, because trauma shows up usually as an excess charge event, like you get overdone by, I'm hearing, okay, so for instance, you get overdone by hearing sounds, like uh, they're mowing my grass and I'm like, ah, you know, but usually if you're not traumatized, you're not going to be that overdone. And so you begin to look at how, is this in the present? Is this partly from my past? Is there a memory coming through? Like, and memories in trauma, memory is stored in a different place. So it's implicit. And it means that oftentimes sensation will open is, is the call to opening that door. So, you know, being present to even those small things, they're not really that small, but those things that, you know, there's a charge for you for some reason, and then entering into exploring that in a way that, um, you know, it's sort of like this other yoga thought that I was given a long time ago to remember that your emotions and thoughts are like the clouds passing, but you're the sky. And to me, that's the spirit at the base, right? Sort of the ground of my being, Paul Tillich, the spirit at the base. If I can remember that, then I can witness some of these other things. And it was interesting too, because all the women that came to me to do the trauma work wasn't like I sought this out. And in fact, I would try to discourage them because it's very hard work, but they had all been through therapy and I sent them back to therapy because I was now doing spiritual guidance work. And they said, no, we want more spiritual. So I was quite enthused by, by that. And so in a sense, we discovered this together in a very mutual kind of way that I knew might be possible, but I didn't know would be so nourishing. Yeah. And it's beautiful, Claudia. I appreciate you lifting up the elements of body, mind, spirit coming together. And just even, you know, mentioning earlier about there's no words and noticing the shifting right. of the sheets and holding that beautiful space and, you know, recognizing that folks that listen to the podcast, maybe on the end of holding space for others. And then there's some of us right. that also have our own trauma that we're beginning to get in touch with. And so I wonder if you have any closing comments or resources or remarks for those that maybe are listening and maybe feel an invitation to pay attention to trauma with the witness of another, what might you say to those people? Well, I think, you know, I, I quote often Simone Bay, if you know her activist, French activist who found Jesus and really um, never became Christian per se, but really lived out of principles. But one of the things she says is paying attention is the purest form of prayer. And so I think about that. And I think about another one of her quotes is um, we need to balance gravity and grace so that we can be what we do. So those things. And then her other quote is, if someone does me an injury, I must not let it degrade me. 
and I must do this in honor of him who does the injury or else, it, you know. Anyway, that's the paraphrasing of it. It's like, so paying attention is the very first step. And then there's so many resources out there. I caution people, but, you know, to choose one thing, to honor yourself, to choose the thing that you are drawn to. And maybe, you know, online, they're, they're like having summits on trauma now. They're like, you know, it's, there's so much available. Um, and then maybe find somebody. If you haven't done therapy, therapy would be a good resource to, you know, start with. Um, or reading something that occurs to you that is helpful. So there's different, all sorts of literature about it now too. So, and I, I'm hesitant to, re to recommend specifics because people, uh, their diversity of experience is such that I, there's no one thing that touches all, of course. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I do think, you know, for some, it may be on the yoga mat, for others, it may be a book, for others, it may be right. art or nature. And so I, I think that that's important or to prayer expand that. Or yeah, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. And there's, you know, the mystics, I think, are significant because there's this issue with time and trauma. There's intricacies of time that you become aware of. And in mysticism, you know, it opens time and you always have enough time. And in trauma, it's like that can happen as a recourse um, just by paying attention. You can open time to integrate this whole experience that gives you much more fullness in life, but it's not an easy one to go to. Well, given the fact that, again, trauma is such a big, beautiful, yes. amazing layered topic and that we've, you know, again, kind of reduced it to this podcast, I, I just really appreciate the perspectives and the wisdom that you've offered today. So thank you so much for joining us today, Claudia. And thank you for having me. It's nice to see you all. It was awesome. Thank you. Well, this is the part of our podcast where we talk about what we are into this week. So what are we into, friends? Well, it's the beginning of the school year, which has meant looking again towards creative lunch solutions, which has gotten me back into making granola. So I have been pulling out all the ingredients and throwing granola in while we do dishes. And then you have this amazing tastiness that can go in lunches or snacks or whatever. So I'm very energized about granola these days. Okay, I love that. Our daughter just made granola last weekend and it was delightful. So it must be in the air. Right. Um, well, I'll kind of go along with that fall theme. I am into pumpkins, all the things pumpkins. So um, I have on the calendar when our pumpkin carving weekend is going to be. I just bought a big case of canned pumpkins for all the pumpkin bread and cooking and baking. So I am embracing all things pumpkin. Well, I'll continue with the food theme that we're into. I guess it's okay that we're all into food and probably our listeners are into food because it's something that we have to do on a daily basis. But I have been into salads a lot more than normal, maybe even having two salads a day instead of the typical one salad a day. And I have been into like textures in salad. So adding a little bit of crunch. So I'll add a cashew to the salad. I'll add maybe some Parmesan wisps that are crunchy or some sesame seeds or pumpkin seeds. And uh, there are all kinds of fun dressings that my loving wife provides that are healthy. You know, they don't have all the sugars that a lot of dressings have, but ginger sesame dressing is my favorite right now. And uh, so I am into 
all the funness that a healthy salad can offer. Love it. Celebrating food together. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Until next time, make it a great week. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, we invite you to stay connected by signing up for our Foundry Spiritual Center newsletter, where you can learn about even more programs and offerings. You'll find a link to subscribe in the show notes or visit us anytime at foundrysc.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a great week. Thank you.